and this is another episode of The Daily Answer. I'm your host, Mark Dunnigan. We're going to talk about 4060 repentance. Well, let's start with a verse. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 7, as Paul is writing to the Corinthians, a second letter, started in verse 9. Now, I rejoice not that you were made sorrowful. That is by his first letter that clearly needed to be written and chastised them for their sins but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. And that would be verses 9 and 10. There's a lot of great stuff there. That passage informs us that all sorrow or regret is not the same. It's not the same quality. It doesn't have the same motivation behind it. There is a sorrow of the world, or you might say common in the world. Uh, writers often describe that as it's the sorrow you were caught and it only leads to like a temporary regret, a temporary sadness, or as the Holy Spirit noted, if often results in a choice that you regret, like, okay, I stopped doing that, but you know, I still really want to do that. And I kind of regret making the decision not to do that. And again, is that you go back on your word, typically with sorrow of the world. No lasting change results. In fact, some, someone has said that the sorrow of the world, if anything follows it as far as any sort of determination, it's the determination to be more careful next time and cover your tracks so that you can sin next time and get away with it. I think that's often the sorrow of the world. Unfortunately, the lesson that comes out of people with sorrow of the world is, okay, well, I'm not going to. I'm going to be more careful next time, or I'm not going to talk to anybody, or, you know, I'm, I'm going to really limit the amount of people in my life, or, um, you know, I'm going to get some, I'm going to be more careful about erasing stuff on my smartphone or my, the history of my laptop or whatever it may be. That's kind of, that's sorrow of the world. Biblical examples would include Pharaoh, you know, in Exodus chapter eight, verse 15, Pharaoh, um, with the plague of the frogs, uh, tells Moses, take it away, take it away, take it away. And Moses says, well, when, when, when it, it, you let me know when you want the frogs gone. And he said, like tomorrow. And the text says that when Pharaoh saw relief, that the crisis was over for the moment, it says he hardened his heart. That's the sorrow of the world where... I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Oh, the crisis is over. Oh, I, I kind of got bailed out here. Oh, I guess I'm not going to die or I don't have cancer or it's treatable or whatever. And so then it's like, okay, I'm going to go back to what I was doing before. I think Judas would be another example. And, you know, Judas sells out, betrays Christ. But Peter, Peter denied Christ three times, but Peter comes back. Peter repents and comes back, goes out, weeps bitterly, comes back and gets back on the right track. Judas went out and hung himself, book of Matthew, chapter 27, 1 through 5. 
And in the book of Acts, Judas, after he's dead, is is said, well, he he you know he got the fruits of his wickedness, and man, he's he's pictured as not. It's not like well, he hung himself, but before he hang, hung himself, he made things right. That's not the picture in the book of Acts, chapter one, and verse about verse eighteen. Judas is pictured as a wicked, sinful, lost man when he dies. And, you know, Pharaoh will change his mind once the pressure is off. And how do you describe Judas? Um, one who could not face up to what he had done. Could that be it? And that he would rather escape through supposedly death, but you're not going to escape. And Judas might have kind of, you might say, a warped version that often masquerades as genuine sorrow that is i am going to show you how sorry i am by ending my life and that's going to teach you guys you'll see how sorry i was but that's not genuine sorrow and neither is that repentance there's no sorrow there or at least of a godly sort if you're truly sorry what do you do well you, you make things right with people uh you stay around and says let's rebuild this now you know i messed up but come on let's I'll help I'll help us rebuild this and you just do not abandon people and that's what Judas did he abandoned everybody and he said in a sense he abandoned himself his own best spiritual interest now a couple of things as we notice and as you go back through second Corinthians it's written to the Corinthians and the Corinthians had been sinful people uh, you read in chapter 6 of the first letter how sinful they'd been, starting about verse 9. But notice that, I mean, if the Corinthians can repent, clearly you and I can stop repenting, right? And notice that whatever sorrow we has, have, we make sure that that's according to the will of God, that it it's a type of sorrow God wants us to have, that we're sorry for the right reason, we're sorry for the right things. And we're going to make the right improvements. And notice that it leads to salvation. And I really like that aspect also that the person who is genuinely sorry never regrets getting rid of that sin and making a life change. Well, and becoming a Christian. The good news is that there's a genuine and true sorrow. That all sorrow is not fake. There's a lot of fake sorrow out there. And there's a lot of things that masquerade as genuine repentance. But the reality is that true sorrow does exist and true repentance does exist and true change does exist. Maybe you're someone who's seen a number of people promise change or maybe go about claiming that going to change and they never really do. And maybe right now you're a little bit jaded or skeptical of, man, I've seen a lot of high crust promises easily made even easily broken of i'm going to change i'm going to change maybe someone in your life has been telling you that for 20 30 years uh -uh, and nothing's happened maybe that's been a parent or a spouse a child i'm going to change i'm going to change you know and nothing maybe a little blip now and then but really no lasting change well the good news though is that there is such a thing as real change real repentance real sorrow and you'll find that in first corinthians chapter six the such were some of you type of sorrow or repentance now 
Recently, though, I was reading a book and they talked about another form of worldly sorrow. And this writer called it 4060 repentance. And basically what it is, is, you know, you do something wrong, you mess up. And yeah, you take responsibility for that. But here's the thing. You're going to take responsibility for about 40% of your sin or sins. But the other 60%, the majority, you're going to put that on somebody else. And the way that that might come across is, okay, I did that. And, but, but you made me mad. You did not help. Or, you know, you kind of forced me. You know, if you had treated me better or if you'd have done what I wanted, then I would not have blown up. I would not have strayed. I would not have gotten into this or that addiction. You name it. Some way or another, this other person or other people forced you to respond in a sinful manner. And the excuse is if others had cooperated perfectly, and that never happens, but if others had just done what I wanted, then I would have never sinned. And where you will see that often is where people will try to put it on their spouse. Okay, yeah, I strayed and I'm looking at stuff I shouldn't be looking at, but you know what? 60% of the fault is yours. People do this with their parents too, you know, well, because you forced me to go to church and because I had to pray and read the Bible and because I had to eat all the vegetables on my plate and, you know, whatever. That's why I am today. That's that's why I'm not doing what I should be doing right now. It's easy to blame children. It's easy to blame brethren too, or elders. It's easy to blame them. Like, yeah, uh, I know I'm not living right currently and I'm not, attending as I should, and I'm not a faithful Christian, but you know what? That Those elders and that congregation down there, they, you know, and then just fill in the blank. And you know what? 40, 60 repentance pretty much always sounds alike. You ever, you ever see somebody, sometimes on the internet, they will post a story of, here's why I'm not a Christian anymore, and here's why I'm not faithful anymore. And here's, I'm I'm not going to that church anymore. And have you ever noted that those stories all sound alike, that there's really nothing original about those stories? That it's kind of the same story that all other people that have their nose out of joint tell. And have you ever noticed that sometimes the ungrateful, rebellious children tend to have the same sort of common themed story that all the other ungrateful rebels kids have and heads up if you've got a story that reads the same as all the other ungrateful rebellious people guess what guess what that means you're probably ungrateful and rebellious (laughs) that's probably what it means is that you do not have an excuse the 46th repentance also creates this false illusion that we would suddenly become instantly better people if the circumstances and the people around us were just changed. If everyone else just did what they should do. 
You know, the Adam did this when he attempted to shift the blame away from his sin, when God called him on the carpet. And the, I mean, one of the first things Adam said is, well, well, the woman you gave me. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I, I, I ate of that forbidden fruit, but for that's 40% on me, but 60% God is on you. You know, if you hadn't given me that woman, then this would have never happened. Yet that's just another version of the sorrow of the world, which always shifts focus away from working on you and working on me and on blaming others. And guess what? There's nothing godly about it. It's not according to the will of God. And it doesn't lead to life. It only keeps you in the darkness. It only keeps you lost. But the dangerous thing is that it keeps you lost with a chip on your shoulder. It keeps you lost. And all along, you're under this false illusion that somehow you've got a point. You've got an argument. And you don't. Mark Dunnigan for The Daily Answer. Till next time, we'll see you in the funny papers.